Bischoff tear down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right, welcome to our guest segment. I am really excited to have him back. We had him here a few months ago to talk about his book about who murdered FDR. But then a few months before that, we had him here to talk about who murdered Elvis and uh, he's a writer and a researcher and a brilliant guy. Steve Ubaney, welcome back to Jim Paris Live. Well, hi, Jim. It's nice to speak with you again. Thanks for having me back. Well, I, w- I want to do this interview uh, for two reasons. We we did the interview already, but I don't know what happened. Uh, the people at the radio network, uh, they they dropped the ball. We did not get super good audio quality like we will get tonight. And also we had all those darn commercials to go to, and now we are commercial free. And so I want to get into the story uh, of Elvis Presley's death again. And I want to have you start before we get into uh, the murder and, and, and everything that was going on in Elvis's life at that time. And your theory on this for those younger people that might be listening, or maybe people that haven't heard or read the story in a long time, set the stage for us and tell us about, the death of Elvis Presley, when he died, uh, what the circumstances were, at least that were reported in the media at that time. And and he was a young man, just 42 years old, uh, which by any standard was certainly dying very young. Sure it was. Um, do you want me to tell you the story that they told everyone? Yeah, yeah let's, let's, give them, <laughs> let's give them the story of the day, and then we'll get into the real story. Yeah, you almost have to, uh, you know, if there wasn't light, there'd be nothing to judge, to judge the darkness by. So let's start out with the crap story and we'll move into the reality. Okay, what we were told in 1977 is Elvis was found dead on the floor. By the way, and... Steve, are you on a speakerphone or anything right now? No, I'm not. No. Okay, just speak directly into your phone. I want to get super good quality on this. Uh, go ahead then. Tell us 1979. Pick it up there. Okay, it was 1977. It was it was um, August 16, 1977, and we had the report broke like it was a 9/11 moment. Okay, you have these moments in your life, like the Kennedy assassination and 9/11, and when it comes across Elvis Presley's dead, I mean everybody stops where they are, and it was he was the last major megastar in the world. So he was found, according to lore, he was found dead in front of his toilet. They rushed him to Baptist Memorial Hospital, where he was pronounced dead of cardiac arrhythmia, which basically means that Elvis Presley died because his heart stopped beating. So um, Jerry T. Francisco was the medical examiner at that time, and without one fingerprint being lifted from Graceland, without the autopsy complete, without one of the three toxicology reports coming back, he goes on television looks in the camera and tells everyone that Elvis died of cardiac arrhythmia. 
So that's the story. That's what we were told. And in 1977, we must have been a little bit more naive because we swallowed that story hook, line, and sinker. And Elvis, uh, he had, for those that are not familiar with, I lived and you lived during uh, the time of Elvis Presley's career. My mother was a huge Elvis uh, Presley fan. I remember hearing those records in the house growing up. I remember hearing uh, about Elvis, you know, getting married, you know, having a child, uh, getting divorced, all of those things. That that was, it was like as, I mean, I would say it's as big as today's stars, but it's really, it, it can't be compared. It, it was 10 times bigger than anybody uh, in today's media. Would you agree? I I always say that famous, uh, you know, average people talk about meeting famous people. Famous people talk about meeting Elvis. Led Zeppelin talks about meeting Elvis. That's how big this guy was. And the reason was, today we have a many-to-many communication model. Okay, so everyone can be a broadcaster, and there are many people who are receiving and many people who are broadcasting. Back in the 60s and the 50s, it was a one-to-many platform. So you had one or two major networks, and the person who was on those major networks with incredible talent could really plaster themselves as a megastar. So you have people around the world who don't even have running water who know who Elvis Presley is. They have pictures of Elvis Presley in their little grass hut. I mean, the, the, the stardom that this person was ma- managed to amass, was it was incredible. Nobody had ever seen anything like it. He was more famous than anyone who's ever been famous. And I think that's how you sum that up. You know, but prior to Elvis, and the reason why he was so big, um, you know, kids didn't have their own identity, their own music. They were just listening to whatever their parents were listening to. You know, if they were sitting around the, the Victrola in the living room and they were, they were listening to, um, you know, Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree, that's what the kids were listening to. So Elvis came about with the era of television. Kids had their portable record players for the first time. For the first time, kids had their own identifiable music. And it just launched. I mean, television and record players came, uh, you know, came alive when Elvis Presley came alive. So he is so incredibly baked into Americana. You know, it'll never happen again. And it was the perfect time. It was the perfect timing. Um, there would be no black stars on record if it wasn't for Elvis Presley. There'd be no Jackson 5. There'd be no Motown. There'd be no Prince. There'd be no none of it. He was the one that pierced the veil and made it all possible. So he was uh, enormously popular for multiple reasons, uh, and he was the right guy at the right time to make it happen. So, I mean, I remember where I was when Elvis died, and my yeah, mother who, collapsed. I mean, yeah, I mean, collapsed. women women <laughs> collapsed. Uh, they cried. It, it was as big as – I mean, I hate to say to compare the two because they're so different, but – the JFK assassination, uh, people that were alive at that time, of course, remember that I wasn't alive at that time, but it, it was one of those kinds of moments. Uh, a man lands on the moon, JFK is assassinated, Elvis dies. Even to this day, there's a flea market um, near my house that I enjoy to go going to uh, a couple of times a month to pick up fresh produce and just see what people are selling. And I'll, I'll tell you, you go through a flea market today. I mean, here we are, the year 2019. And you're always going to see Elvis stuff 
I mean, Elvis lamps, Elvis rugs. I mean, not only was he famous, but he's still famous. All these years after his death, he's still part of our culture. And one of those names that you just say the name Elvis and everybody knows exactly who you're talking about, right? Absolutely. And I think that that's for a few reasons. I think that is partly because of the dogged efforts of Elvis Presley Enterprises to keep him alive and going when he's not. Elvis has become a product. He's no longer a man. He's become their product and they're marketing their product and good for them. Um, the other reason is the reason why we can't get enough and no one can get enough. And I saw an interview with Priscilla a couple of years back. You know, she, she always has to draw the line as to what she wants people to know because, you know, how much is enough? You know, they just want more and more and more of it. And that's because Elvis was so guarded from us. We have to realize there was no Facebook, no Instagram. You weren't getting any glimpses into Elvis Presley's life. He was surrounded by this group of thugs <laughs> and friends called the Memphis Mafia. Nothing got out from Elvis. Nothing got into Elvis. Everything was securely fastened around him. So, I mean, if something happened, we didn't know about it. Those guys were well paid not to let it out. So, of course, they were nicknamed the Memphis Mafia because of their suits, and the media coined that phrase. But, um, you know, I mean, and this is why the fascination is today. You know, um, you know <laughs> it's a, today they treat it as a joke that um, – when Elvis uh, was made a federal narcotics agent on December 21st, 1970 by Richard Nixon. Today, it's a joke. They're like, oh, this is, you know, this is, this is incredible that this happened. It was one of the fundamental reasons he ended up being murdered. And I, when I say that, it's hard for me to say. I never wanted to know Elvis Crosby was murdered. I was the last person on earth who was going to go on any radio show, and I've been on a ton of them, and say that, because I know how incredible it sounds when you see this guy on stage knocking him dead with this electric smile, and, you know, it, who would want to murder this guy? Well, it was business. It wasn't personal. Yeah, so, and it is fascinating. Um, when when you look at his career, Steve, and, and we'll get into the sort of the meltdown, but Elvis had several stages uh, to his career. and it, it You know, there there was, of course, the young Elvis, the sort of the innocent Elvis. Then there was the later overweight Elvis with the Las Vegas show, uh, which I understand was largely influenced by Liberace of all people, uh, gave him the idea of the white jumpsuit and sort of that flashy Las Vegas uh, show. But his career had uh, several comebacks. So he, he, he would, he would sort of, you know, die out and then come back and then, and, and, and Las Vegas, uh, was was a great venue for him, and I know you get into that um, in the book. But uh, his he made a lot of money, and he lost a lot of money. And I find it also fascinating what's happened with his daughter, because if I understand it correctly, with all that she was left, it appears she may be in the same boat as her dad, having lost a lot of the money from the estate uh, as well. Well, there's an awful lot to dig in and unwrap there. That's for sure. There's a lot to unpack. So, um, yeah. 
Elvis, do we start now? Do you have a commercial coming up? No, no, no commercials tonight. We are oh, commercial, commercial free. free. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. yeah, commercial free. So I, what I wanted to, I, I heard an interview um, with an author that was talking about the different stages of Elvis's career. And I thought that was fascinating. And I don't know how much that you got into that uh, in your book, but we're, we're typically used to seeing, you know, of course, you have on the one extreme, like a one hit wonder. Then on the other extreme, you have like an Elton John, you know, somebody, you know, all the way into like their 70s is still prolifically writing and 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 successful. Um, you know, Elvis was one of those uh, figures that stayed around. He he didn't just have a one hit, but he did have ups and downs and he did go through as much money as he made. He lost. It, it appears to be one of the themes of your book. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um you have to look at it. as far as playing Vegas is concerned. Um, well, first I want to go with the different stages. Elvis knew how to reinvent himself. Elvis Presley was a very smart man, and this gets this gets lost in today's you know image of him. Unfortunately, the last thing you do is the first thing people remember. So they remember Elvis as this overweight guy in a jeweled jumpsuit. Okay, that's the last thing he did. So that's the first thing we remember. Um, I'll talk a little bit about his health thing. People say, well, how could he be murdered looking at poor health he was in? The reason why Elvis Presley looked so bloated and sickly in the last, the end time period of his life, Elvis Presley had a birth defect. He had a twisted colon. And when I talked to Dan Warlick, who was at Elvis Presley's autopsy, who was one of the investigators for the medical examiner, ended up being a really good friend of mine. Um, he said it caused him a great deal of problem towards the end of his life. He was, um, there were circumstances around Elvis Presley where they were prescribing drugs for him. Elvis Presley had some intestinal problems. And a couple of the drugs that they prescribed for him made him constipated. So here we have this guy who is, has a twisted colon to start with. And he's on drugs to treat that and a couple of other things, which I'm not going to get into. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, but they were constipating this guy something, something terrible. So this is why the last. Steve, we're starting to lose your audio again a little bit. It's starting to, to drop off. I don't know if, uh, if you're on a cell phone or if you can get a little closer to the mic. Okay. Um, there we go. That's, that's great. Whatever you just did. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm swallowing it here. This is what. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. So, you know, you were um, talking about drugs and and that's what I remember. I was young at the time, but I remember that story and the story, you know, being, uh, you know, pushed for years into the future that Elvis was this big drug addict who just died uh, yeah, he died of heart failure, but it was because he was a drug addict taking all of, you know, kinds of, he had uh, been doctor shopping had all kinds of doctors giving him all kinds of different uh, pills and ended up, you know, sort of like a lot of Hollywood stars at that time, uh, overdosing. And that's really why he died. That, that was the narrative that I had heard for many years. Well, it, it keeps changing. First, it was his heart. And then in 1979, Geraldo Rivera with uh, ABC's 2020 did a special, and they un they unloaded this this huge vat of drugs and poured it out for effect, saying that all of these drugs had been prescribed to Elvis Presley. 
Well, prescribing and taking are different things. Elvis Presley was not a drug addict. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I'll tell you how this happened. Um, in 1976, Elvis Presley almost went bankrupt. So his father took over his finances to make him solvent. And he also started to monitor what Elvis bought for other people because he was a very generous guy. So these other guys in the Memphis Mafia all wanted these pills. They were up all night. They wanted uppers. They wanted downers. They wanted this and that. And Elvis said, look, he told the doctor, he said, look, just write them under my name so I don't have to explain this to my dad. So it was like a candy bowl in the middle of the room. Whoever walked by took a handful. They were all taking these drugs. Elvis Presley wasn't taking all these drugs. It would be impossible. <laughs> so that's that's the myth of that. And the reason why Geraldo Rivera in 2020 got into this investigation is because they were about an episode from going off the air. And every time they got into this, of course, their ratings jumped. Okay, now I have to explain this drug thing. Okay. In 1969, Elvis Presley had a cavity, went to the dentist, got prescribed codeine, took the codeine, had an anaphylactic response. His throat started to swell close. He almost died. His doctor was there and knew what to do, thank God. Okay. Scared him so much, as you could well imagine, his doctor gave him the physician's desk reference. And Elvis loved to read. So he would read this physician's desk reference on these drugs. He would know what mixed with what what you could take with what, so you could have this effect. Don't take this with this. You show him a pill, he'll show you exactly who made it and where it came from. And he's like, this is not a dumb guy. So, you know, I, I've heard this. There's someone out there pushing this story that it was a suicide and, you know, it was an accidental overdose. Complete hogwash. It's complete hogwash. In Elvis Presley's autopsy, they did three toxicology reports. The first toxicology report was done by the University of Tennessee, and there are different levels of drugs that end up in your body. You know, they're not, they're not all, the, uh, all the same. The first one would be trace. There's a trace amount of a drug in your body. The next higher amount, they go in increments higher, lower to higher. The lowest one is trace. The next one is therapeutic, which is what a doctor would prescribe you to help you with an ailment or a condition. The one after that is toxic, which will make you sick, and you'll throw up and have all kinds of issues. And the one above that, the most severe, obviously, is lethal. In the case of Elvis Presley, in my exhaustive research, 10 years of research in this now, Jim, can you believe it? Time flies when you're having fun. 10 years. Um, A lot of information here. Brother, I'll tell you. You have no idea. If you want to commit suicide sometime, come jump off my papers of Elvis Presley. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, in the case of Elvis Presley, the University of Tennessee, he came in at between trace and therapeutic of drugs. No coding in his body. Okay. And they had a different, um, a nameless lab across town in Tennessee at, in Memphis. Um, I, I'm very curious as to who this was, but I still haven't been able to figure this out. And trust me, I dug into it. Uh, they came up with the exact same, the exact same thing. There was, between trace and therapeutic, none of which would harm you, and no coding. So Dan Warlick, who I lost last year, Dan died. Uh, He had a heart condition, and we lost him, which is a terrific, terrific crime because he was a wonderful man. Um, Opened up his entire research to me of Elvis Presley's autopsy, everything. 
the very first thing they did, because when they discovered the body, someone said, we think EOD. Well, if you have a hammer, everything starts to look like a nail. So they're looking for these drugs. So one toxicology report is not sufficient. They have to do another one. That's not sufficient. So um, Dan Warlick found, when he went through Graceland, he found two mysterious drug syringes in the upstairs of Graceland. And they were not drug syringes like you would find at the doctor. They were drug syringes that were, Dan referred to them as a carpet, cartridge type, almost like a caulking gun, where you would put a cartridge of medicine in and you would, you know, it was like a skeleton. And there were no needles. So they're trying to figure out what is going on here. So they took, Dan Warwick took this, um, Oh, boy. I'm trying to think. I'm searching for a word. Um, it's not a microscope. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> he looked over all of Elvis Presley's body looking for needle marks. There wasn't one needle mark on this guy. So where the hell did these things come from? They were there to throw people off the scene of what happened. I'll get to that a little bit later on. So he dissects Elvis Presley's vocal cords knowing that Elvis Presley, according to his doctors and his dentists and his nurses, he had two nurses on site at Graceland who gave him his drug packets, by the way. He never had control of his drug. So he dissects his vocal cords looking for a sign of swelling, anaphylaxis. No swelling. No anaphylaxis. So then one of the people at the autopsy, Dr. Harold Sexton, brings out all these Tupperware containers and starts taking tissue samples, seals them up with dry ice, sends them across the country to bioscience laboratories in California, where at that time they had the latest and the greatest equipment available to test this. So it comes back, the results come back, that there's codeine in the body at 11 times the lethal level. What? If there's no codeine in the body... How does it come back at 11 times the lethal level in one and only one of the three toxicologies report? If it's not in the body, it can't be in the toxicology report. It was at this wow. point where I almost hit the floor. I'm like, well, <laughs> if you go that far, you have to ask yourself, who put it there? Why is it there? And why did they take that particular toxicology report? to blast to the world that Elvis Presley died of all these drugs. There was enough drugs in that one toxicology report to poison a herd of cattle. <laughs> I showed this to my friend, Dr. Sirouette, Forensic Pathology to the Stars. And um, ironically, in 1979, Geraldo Rivera showed it to him, and he you know, went on camera and said how incredible it was that all of these drugs could be in this person. Well, when doing my research, I have many mutual friends with Dr. Weck. He became one of my friends, a very good friend, actually. I called him when I was writing this book, and I said, Doc, were you aware, did they make you aware that there were two toxicology reports done prior to the one they showed you? He had no idea. So here they go. They take an erroneous toxicology report showing that Elvis Presley died of this grand concoction of pharmaceuticals, this polypharmacy, quote-unquote, I think they created this the first time I think the word's ever been used. And they give it to Dr. Weck, 
and they used Dr. Wett's credential because he's a very good uh, forensic pathologist um, and medical examiner and coroner, and he's the one who gives this to the world. So basically they used him to sell a narrative that wasn't true. So you have to ask yourself at this point, all right, why are they doing this? Why are they trying to spin the death of Elvis Presley into drugs so fast? And it was yeah, to spin things. It was to spin away from what was going on. And, and, and like, you, like you said, how could you have three? Re, how could you have three reports and have such a difference? I mean, right there in and of itself would be. Uh, sign of of something, a cover up or something. Did did his did any of the people that were close to him at the time have suspicions that this was not a natural death? Did did any uh, one at the time say that they thought maybe there was foul play? Absolutely, and it never got reported. Elvis Presley's father. The first, and I know Dan Warlick was there, he saw it firsthand, doubled over in grief and said, quote, unquote, oh, my God, they've murdered my son. So in wow. 19, right after Elvis Presley's death, Vernon Presley, his father, commissioned two private investigators to solve the murder. And my book picks up where they left off. Unfortunately, Vernon Presley died, I think, a year and a half after Elvis did. And that's when the payroll stopped. That's when the, the thing went cold. So my book is the only one that picks up after that point. Um, so, yes, um, Dick Grob, Elvis Presley's chief of security, uh, he has a book out called The Elvis Conspiracy. And he knew immediately Elvis Presley was murdered. Um, Dr. Nicopolis, there, if you go on my website, and I lower, you know what I did? Just for you and your audience, I lowered the price of my books just for the next couple of days. $2.25 lower because I want the truth out. I'm not going to make any money on this anyway. Too much research involved. Uh, I couldn't be paid enough to finish this, but um, I lowered the price. It's uh, $14.50 to grab this book. Get the truth out there and buy the book. But anyway, um, on my website, Dr. Nicopolis, there is a uh, Elvis Presley's doctor. So they should go to your on. website. We want to make sure, Steve, they know to go to your website, not to Amazon. Is that what you told us the last time? I pulled everything off Amazon. So you can get my book at whomurderedbooks.com. Whomurderedbooks.com. Now, we have a large live audience, but an even larger audience that does the downloading. So that'll be over the next uh, five or six days. So the book will be on discount, though, for at least the next couple of days at whomurderedbooks.com. Folks, check that out, whomurderedbooks.com. Dot com. And, and if you're an Elvis fan, you'll want to have this book just as a collectible as well. Uh, the book you send me is signed. Do you sign the books for everybody or do they have to ask for that? Usually what I do is if you buy two or more books, I'll sign them both. But just for you and your audience, I'll sign all of them for the next Okay, week. fantastic. All right. Continue on, sir. Okay, so if you go on my website, there's a video with Dr. Nicopolis from 1990. It was on A Current Affair, if anybody remembers that show. And Dr. Maury you can Polish, watch right? Dr. Nic a Current Affair. Yeah. You can watch Dr. Nicopolis say Elvis Presley was murdered, and no one talks about it. No one talks about this. So there was all kinds of people. Susanna Lee, 
one being uh, was Elvis Presley's co-star on Paradise Hawaiian Style. Sweetheart of a lady. She's another one I lost two years ago. To she lost a she lost a battle with liver cancer. She was a peach. Nice lady. Um, in 1978, a year after Elvis died, she made the grave mistake of going on Elvis, going on Memphis television and asking the authorities to solve the murder of Elvis Presley. And what happened to this woman was incredible. Uh, they sabotaged her car. They tried to kill her several times. They shot at her. They missed her. She had left. Someone jumped over the wall, got into her condo, and killed all of her dogs. Hmm. Uh, finally, they stopped the subtle tactics, and they just burned her house down. Um, you know, wow. There was really people who wanted this under wraps. And on the back of my book, there's a murdered guy, picture of a murdered guy I got uh, permission to use. He was going to start a yearly Elvis Presley uh, convention. He had purchased letters that Elvis Presley was writing in his handwriting saying who was threatening him. And on the way to give the keynote speech, the guy named uh, Jared Parker, no relation to Tom Parker, never made it. He was murdered with the letters in his pocket. Now, these are letters that he bought at auction, and Correct. nobody had any idea, like, the significance of these letters. And not until did he open the letters and start reading them did he realize what he actually had. And then when it got public that he had these letters and what he was going to say, this is when he met his demise. That's correct. Wow. So many different pieces to this. It's so fascinating. I also love the, the picture on the back of the book of Elvis with Nixon. And uh, I know your book gets into a lot more details about um, the connection there. And, and we, we've got about 10 minutes or so left just to give you a oh, rough time frame. <laughs> And we, I was, on, we, I was we on don't coast to coast for three hours with this. No, no worries. Yeah, this is uh, shorter than coast to coast. Usually we we don't we don't have the network, you know, uh, breathing down our neck to wrap it up because I'm independently producing my show now. But we usually try to keep our episodes to about 45 minutes. Sometimes, uh, you know, we can, you know, 40 to 45 minutes. So that gives us about 10 to 12 minutes at this point. And I don't want to cut you short. And I don't know how much of the book you want to reveal, but I do know from our last interview uh, that you sort of unfolded a little bit more of who was involved in the murder and what Elvis had actually gotten himself into. As much as we think that he had all the money in the world and could never have a financial problem, that wasn't the case because there's no amount you can have that you can't outspend. Uh, look at today's NFL players. Right. Well, the problem with Elvis Presley is um, his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, his, he wasn't a colonel. His name wasn't Tom Parker. He, his name was Andreas Van Coo, and he came from the Netherlands, stowed on a ship, went into the army over here, went AWOL, and left with, he took the identity of his commanding officer, Colonel Tom Parker. So he, because he had a, a carnival barker background in the Netherlands, he worked at a circus, he started managing talent acts. He managed uh, Minnie Pearl, Hank Snow, Gene Austin, Roy Acuff, Eddie Arnold. Um, Eddie Arnold, he became the solo person for Eddie Arnold. Eddie Arnold warned Elvis Presley to stay away from this guy. He was no damn good. So through managing these people, 
Colonel Parker befriended the mobsters in Vegas. Um, two of the people, I'll run through quick. I know I'm up against a hard break. Uh, Milton Prowl was from the... Dis- no, there is no hard break. We're, we're good until uh, we've got about another 14 minutes. No breaks. Okay. Um, Milton Prowl was from the Detroit Syndicate, and he ended up buying the Sahara, the Aladdin, and the Mint. All right? They had to launder money. Mo Dallas, in the 50s and 60s, there was no one bigger than Mo Dallas in Las Vegas. He was the one who funded a couple of Elvis Presley movies. And he was from the, from the Cleveland Syndicate, and he and I went out there and bought the Stardust on the Desert Inn. They wanted him out there to be a closer ally to Meyer Lansky and Jimmy Hoffa. These people owned Frank Sinatra. They also owned Elvis Presley. To the point where Elvis had a terrible, terrible life. He was in a velvet jail. He couldn't even plan his own wedding. It was Frank Sinatra's plane. He got married in Milton Krause Hotel. The mob told Elvis what to do. Okay, so when when you have Elvis trying to get some traction back in his life against these mobsters, who started out as a kind of partner started out as a twenty five percent partner, and Elvis had seventy five percent. He started to squeeze him. Now we're fifty fifty partners. Now I'm going to do deals and not give you a cut. Okay, so Elvis started to be threatened, so he wanted to. A federal narcotics man, so he, he and his friends could carry guns in all the states. Okay. One of the things that Nixon asked him to do was they were trying to bring down the Las Vegas mob. So in his in two months a year, he played in his, uh, his entertainment contract at the International Hotel, which later became the Hilton. Nixon asked him to hide federal agents in his band, pose them as band members to get them out there undercover to investigate the mob. Boy, that is fascinating. He had FBI agents in his band, undercover in his band. Did we ever know who those agents, um, has that ever been confirmed, like the names of those agents and that they really, in fact, were in the FBI? I mean, of course, that would be public record, right? Well, yeah, and I can't take credit for this. In 1990, uh, an investigator named Maria Columbus was going through Graceland, one of the trophy room, and found this letter from the United States government thanking Elvis Presley for his cooperation in, I don't know, some operation. So she was the one, this was done before me, she was the one who contacted the government and said, what's this for? Hmm. They were the ones that told her what was going on. Wow. So this came right from our federal government. So what happened was, long story short, if we ever saw the movie Casino, there's a truth to that movie, although fictitious. It's based on a true story. All the hotel rooms were bugged. Elvis got caught. They all got caught. And Elvis Presley died mysteriously before he was supposed to turn state's evidence against the mob. That's what wow. happened to Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley had a terrible life. He was the greatest talent, I think, that anybody has ever seen. He had a terrible life. He couldn't. Parker started to dictate to him well, who, what friends he could have, what books he could read. He couldn't do anything. Yeah, he could have his girlfriends and buy his motorcycles and buy his cars. That was it. There was one time that he started to rebel, and it was these terrible, terrible movies. How much time do we have you still have about uh, nine or ten minutes. Okay. The first time that Elvis started to rebel, 
was when he was doing these ridiculous movies and Elvis hated these movies, hated them, didn't want to do them. But they were very cheesy. Even at the time, I have to say they were cheesy, but people went to see those movies because if he was in the movie, they would see it. And I remember those movies even being on TV after they were at the movie theaters and they were very popular. And I'll tell you what, Colonel Parker was one of the most degenerate gamblers anyone had ever seen. And, you know, he was gambling in 1977 when Elvis Presley died. Colonel Parker owed $32 million in gambling debts to the Las Vegas casinos. Holy cow, $32 million. They were starting to squeeze Colonel Parker for that money. Hmm. So Colonel Parker had to squeeze Elvis for the money. Elvis was the dancing monkey. You see the chain, how this goes? So here we have Elvis is finally starting to rebel. And I know somebody who was in the room with him, and he he promised I wouldn't use his name, but it was a... It was one of Elvis Presley's friends. Elvis gets the script, and it was for, I don't know, Speedway Spinout, Clambake, one of these, who the hell knows. But he's, he's reading these, and, and he's reading this thing, and the script is like 500 pages, and he's furious, and he, you know, he blows into this rage, and he throws the script all over the living room. There's 700 pages all over the living room. And he <laughs> says, I can't tell you what he said, but he said, you know, this this movie, I'm a motorcycle racer. The last one, I was a speed ro- speedboat driver. The one before that, I was a race car driver. It's the same script with a different girl. So he didn't go to the set the next day. He said, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing them anymore. I'm just not doing it. Well, when he didn't show up, all hell broke loose. RCA came up. The studio came up. Colonel Parker came up. A couple people in suits came up. And it was made abundantly clear to Elvis Presley, you will do these movies or you won't do anything else. Hmm. And they weren't threatening his career. Elvis Presley had golden handcuffs. He never wanted, he wanted to be a serious dramatic actor. And anybody who thinks that Elvis Presley wasn't a great actor, he managed to look like he was having a good time doing the stupidest movies we've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So this is how Suzanne Lee got to met Elvis. And um, there's something about this Elvis is alive thing. It's a good time to end on this. So I might as well go on my outro. Yeah, th- that, that theory keeps coming up. I, I heard it again uh, a couple of months ago that Elvis is still alive. How old would he be if he was still alive? Let, let me ask you that. Well, he'd be well into his 80s, I'm sure. Yeah, so, I, I mean, uh, the, the idea that he's still alive is preposterous on a number of levels. Well, Graceland is promoting this. If you go to Graceland's website, they have an, uh, under one of the tabs on their website, they have a uh, Elvis sightings page because there's money in it. There's money in it. They want to keep it going. This is what's going on. Susanna Lee did Paradise Hawaiian style with Elvis. Okay, The first four scenes that she was in weren't even with Elvis. They were with his stand-ins. These Somebody just emailed, emailed, by the way, Steve, and said he would be 84 oh, okay. if he were still alive. So Okay. Um, I stand corrected. Um, so Susanna Lee said, you know, Elvis was in the studio laying down the tracks for the movies, for the movie that she was going to be in. So she's doing these, movies, these scenes with Elvis's stand-ins. He had one stand-in who did the fights. 
and did the cliff diving in front of Alcapoco. Um, newsflash, that wasn't Elvis. Uh, Elvis is not diving off cliffs. <laughs> so and she, these guys were the same frame. They moved the same way. They were surgically altered to look like Elvis Presley. These are the people that they're seeing. They're not seeing Elvis. And she said, <clears throat> there's a couple of promo things on Paradise Hawaiian style. If you look at the thing, she's got her arms around Elvis in this one scene where they're looking at the camera, and it's not Elvis. And it looks like Elvis. And the telltale sign is, and I know everybody's going to look at this, Elvis's face was very triangular. This guy's face is very U-shaped. Big jowls. Wasn't Elvis. Hmm. Came right out of her mouth. Anyway, so there is some paper evidence to suggest that Elvis Presley faked his death. But you have to realize, when you're dealing with higher powers that want to spin things, these paper documents have been placed there for you to find. Because the longer time we spend trying to find Elvis Presley at Burger King in Kalamazoo, Michigan, the less time we spend <laughs> trying to solve probably the most ultimate cold case murder that no one's talking about. Elvis Presley, there were bars on Graceland's window for a reason, folks. They're down now. Google it. You'll see him. He had closed-circuit cameras. He had enough guns and hardware. Uh, he probably had more guns than everybody in the state of Tennessee in 1977. They murdered him in his own home, and they got away with it. They got away. Has his, has his uh, uh, wife, uh, former wife, Priscilla, has she ever made any comments publicly about this? Well, I got to be careful how I handle this question. <laughs> um, publicly, no. That's my knowledge. Uh, She's okay. going to have her comments on this, and I'm going to have mine. But I, 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 I think you said a lot there by saying what you just said. I don't have any problem with Priscilla. We have Priscilla to thank for keeping him alive all these years. She's in a hell of a legal jam with Lisa Marie right now. Lisa Marie is suing her for $100 million. Um, so, the, so, so, so Lisa Marie had her um, her uh, cut of the estate, and then uh, Priscilla had her uh, part of the estate. So, it's the share of the estate that that the daughter had is what appears to have been lost. I know she blames it on an agent. There's different stories, but the, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Priscilla's share hasn't been lost. Is that right? I'm not really for sure um, sure of the details. I know there's a lawsuit going on at some variety. So and I, I know really that uh, I know that uh, Graceland is still operating, and I know there's other investors involved. And you know, it's it's really sad when you think about. Uh, sometimes it's kind of like the lottery. You know, people dream of winning the lottery and what that would mm -hmm. mean. And then you hear the the story that it's rare that someone wins the lottery that their life doesn't completely. Uh, I mean, their their life completely collapses. I mean, do, do they get a divorce? They're estranged from their family. A lot of times they die They die uh, early deaths. Uh, they lose all their money, typically. And the same thing with fame. Uh, you know, fame and happiness tend to not go together as much as you think they might. There are probably very few people that are famous and also happy. And as famous as Elvis Presley was, uh, it's just so sad to think, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 55 in January. So I think, you know, I've already lived about 13 years longer than this man has, has lived. He never lived 
to see. I mean, when you think about when when he died, he missed so much of what has happened uh, over the last you know several decades in America. And uh, man, oh man, what a talent! What a smart guy! Uh, not not just not he was able to reinvent himself, a marketing genius. I understand he had a black belt in in karate as well. It was an eclectic. It just learned uh, through his whole life and picked up skills in all different disciplines. And uh, just just an amazing guy who died way too young. Very, very interesting guy. There's one more thing I want to I want to add here if we have time. And it's about sure, go ahead. Elvis as a life. It's about this Elvis as a life thing. This needs to stop. It's time for everybody to grow up. The man is dead. I know the man who has Elvis Presley's organs in dry ice. Okay? The man is dead. I talked to the man who took out Elvis's brain. Okay? Elvis Presley's gone. You know, and you look at Lisa Marie, this poor kid, what she's gone through in her life with her struggles. And Elvis Presley's best friend, one of his best friends at the time, um, Jerry Schilling, you know, he, he, uh, it came on the radio that Elvis had died, and Jerry Schilling doubles up his fist, and he's so grief-stricken, he punches a concrete wall, shatters his hand, has to, have a, has to have an operation. Do you think this would be happening if Elvis faked his death? Do you think that Lisa Marie would be in this situation? I don't think so. So, I mean, it's a great story. Um, you know, Robin Hood's a great story. You know, um, I yeah. Could you imagine if true. Elvis were, if Elvis was still alive, he would see his daughter going through all of this and would not intervene. I mean, if he was still alive and came forward, and he could sign autographs for a thousand dollars a piece or something, you know, to generate, he could he could do some sort of a TV uh, pay per view for a billion dollars. I mean, God only knows how much money would be available uh, for anybody. Uh, to be able to prove that he was alive or that he himself would agree to make an appearance or write a book or, or appear in a movie or a pay-per-view or any of that. So I'm with you. It is interesting though. People have these different conspiracy theories and they're entertaining to talk about, but I think it's, it's uh, purely ridiculous, especially when you consider that he would be 84 years old today. All right, let me close it out with this. Make sure people know if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Stephen Ubaney. And his last name is spelled U-B-A-N-E-Y, if you want to Google him. Uh, his website is whomurderedbooks.com. And there's not just the Elvis book. There are other books. It's a great website to check out. And he's also offering to sign books for listeners of this show. Also, um, there's a discount that you'll see for the next couple of days. For those of you that uh, get the podcast and download it, we're recording this live on September 22nd, 2019. Steve Ubaney, thank you so much, sir. Stay in touch. Let us know when you have another book out. You're a great guy, fascinating guest. And uh, man, I'll tell you, this this book right here, this is a life, a life work. I mean, if this is all you ever did, you made a great contribution, but I know you've got plenty more content in you and we look forward to your next project. Well, Murder Diana is coming out next year. I've oh man, can't wait for that. And, and and I'm telling you, I'm I'm with you on that. All right, God bless, sir. Thanks so much. Thank you. Who murdered Who murdered Diana? Coming out next year. Is that going to be a blockbuster or what? All right. I hope you enjoyed this interview. The book Who Murdered Elvis. A lot covered. Uh, the book is fascinating. There are pictures uh, in there. A lot of details. 
a lot of footnotes. It is very well documented. So uh, it's one that you want to get, especially if you're an Elvis Presley fan. We highly recommend it. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris Live. We'll talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody.